Welcome to the NBA Coast to Coast Podcast, brought to you by thelines.com. Coming to you from the West Coast, Josh Lander, joined by Nate Weitzer. He's on the East Coast, and we're kicking, I'm sorry, we're closing out the work week here on a Friday with seven games on the slate to choose from. We're coming off a pretty busy Thursday night. Decent time for us, still finished above 500, right around even units. Kind of a wash, but we'll move on here to Friday with plenty to choose from. Still up about 28 units on the season for everybody, so feeling confident as we stride along here. This is uh, best bets that we have right here for you. Also have play a props up in a different one, so make sure to like and subscribe to that page. Continue to follow along. Also head to thelines.com. Always going to push you there. Make sure that you check out that odds finder tool. Make sure you're using that to get the best odds and juice available to you and all these bets you're making in the NBA this season. All right, Nate, let's kick off Friday's picks here for best bets yeah you had a good lean yesterday on okc to just cover uh and then we tinkered around with money line parlays and parlaying it with the bucks and other stuff and really you just felt like fade the lakers on a back-to-back yeah could have just stuck with it made that the most confident bet but yeah moving on um look spurs at nola here spurs on a back-to-back it's probably going to be a blowout spreads 12 and a half i'll still take zion to get 25 points in a win because, you know, he's the GOAT of permanent scoring. He's just going to score maybe even doesn't even need 25 minutes to score 25 points on average. Like, I mean, if you look at his last two against these Spurs, 62 points in 61 minutes. It's just a point per minute. There is no line of defense here for the Spurs. Uh, Wemby might not be able to play here. I mean, he was very questionable yesterday. Still came through with all the props we needed, though. Uh, bless his heart. Uh, but on the back-to-back here, Spurs tend to obviously tread lightly with anybody, even if they're a rookie um, and they have any sort of health issues, got the hip issue. So not a lot of rim protection there if Wemby's out. And what we saw what Zion's done recently against the Spurs, 29.5 points, 13.5 rebounds, which is strangely high for him, in just 33 minutes per game, his last four against them. His last four at home this season, looking spry, looking aggressive, 27.5 points on lower usage, 28%, uh, still good usage. His last six, he's hit 25 points um, in all of them. And if you're worried about the blowout, again, there is an example, 26 points in a 36-point win over Sack, which I'm not sure if Sack was on short rest in that one or not, but they came to Nola and they got smacked. Um, and that's probably what's going to happen here. He only needed 30 minutes to get those 26 points. Um, and so the home road splits for Zion. I mean, the Pelicans offense is, is great at home. He's scoring slightly fewer points per game, uh, but that's mostly because there's just fewer minutes because blowouts, etc. He is, however, much more efficient. His offensive rating, 10 points better. He's shooting 64% from the field versus 48% on the road. So if you if you project this over per 36, he's getting 28 points per 36 at home uh, versus 25 on the road, which is to say, you know, if it was a road blowout situation, I'd be very nervous about him getting to 25. But I think at home, um, he's just going to come out aggressive attacking these Spurs, a Spurs team that, by the way, given up 136 in their two back to back situations and on the road in general gives up a league high 31 and a half assists and 126. So, um, yeah, the, the Pels should score in bunches here and i think they give as long as zion gets you know 28 to 30 minutes he should keep this streak going yeah two two solid matchups for zizai in a row where he just really enjoyed playing against the the 76ers which we called 
now he gets to play against a team that everybody enjoys playing against. It's a really nice get right game for, especially for athletic power forwards, uh, versatile bigs against this team. Um, and, and really just uh, anybody who's going to be handling the ball, <laughs> to be honest, which he still should be. We still saw him get a decent amount of assists and really blow up with points with CJ back. And that's a big part of the points for him in this one as well is like, yo, CJ's back and the, the efficiency with CJ on the floor playing point guard is also going to be helpful for Zion um, to be able to play off of it a bit more, maybe a few more offensive rebounds, especially if Wemby's not in there. Um, so yeah, I'm, 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 I support it. It's, it's like you keep saying, it's one player that you're like, all right, I'm not worried if he plays 30 minutes or, or slightly less that he can still get 25 because his PR is out of control is his per 36 out of control. So the efficiency has been there for him and, and at home, I, I still like this game. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and fade my Knickerbockers. I'm taking the, just, I'm taking the minus one and a half for the Raptors in a game that they're, t- they fight, they get the Knicks on the second leg of a back-to-back Knicks had to try a bit harder than I think they expected to beat the Pistons. Uh, kept that within double uh, single digits rather did the Pistons Brunson went off for the 42 and, and obviously he, uh, used a lot of energy to do that and really wanted to prove a point. Maybe, I don't know if it's, you want to consider a bit of a letdown because this is still somewhat of a, a you know, a, a, I won't call it a rivalry anymore, but definitely two teams that are familiar with each other. Um, and, and Toronto's at home in this one, and that's always a good, a good spot for them. And a couple of things. So, I mean, they're at home, four and one uh, at home, straight up as home favorites. They do play a bit slower uh, at home, but they still get the fast break points, which is crazy. I, I just always fascinates me how they do that. Um, just get out on the break, but then slow it down when you have the the ball in the half court. They allow eight fewer points per game at home as well, which is huge because for them, like I think the the defense is a, just leads to the offense for them, and they need to force missed shots um, and obviously have a much better defensive field goal percentage at home. The way that they're limiting points in in, the, in that space. Um, the last three versus the Knicks, they've won dating back to last season and i do think there's really a solid reasoning for the consistency success that toronto has against the knicks they like to fast break they they're not good in the half court and they're avoiding playing in the half court as much as possible you don't want to play the knicks in the half court one of the best half court defenses probably the top three easy um they have the fourth best defensive rating right now in the league but in the half court defense that's where they're the best they have the number one d rating in half court defense their transition defense is a little bit more vulnerable and that's what Toronto does uh, to the tune of, you know, a top 10 uh, fast break pointing, t- fast breaking team and in, in efficiency wise as well. The Knicks right now are allowing 13.7 on the season, still in the top 15 for limiting teams in the, on the break, but it's still just not nearly as good as they are in the half court. Um, and so that's what Toronto is going to continue to look to do. And in those four games last season, they averaged 18 fast break points per game in those games against the Knicks, which is, you know, well above what the Knicks are normally letting teams score on them. The, the only game that they lost against the Knicks was the one that they failed to score 15 fast break points on. Um, and it, it, that's not what I would expect to happen here with some tired uh, Nick legs on this one. So I'm going to go ahead and take the, the Raptors to just cover minus one and a half. Yeah, interesting kind of league wide trend to look at here, which again, we go back to the in season tournament and teams going all out to win by 20 plus. And then the immediate afterfall of that, right, is is the Knicks struggling to beat the Pistons who are on a back to back? Is the Cavs losing to the Blazers? Um, and another team to target to consider about that is the Suns tonight, uh, who are still you know playing their third game in four nights after going all out uh, uh, in their last tournament game. So yeah, Knicks now third game, four nights, back to back. They're going to need a lot of energy to match Toronto's energy at home. Um, so I like the call here. 
fading your Knicks who, uh, you know, don't, don't necessarily take care of business when they're underdogs in any way. Um, so Magic and Wizards, second immediate matchup here. Two nights ago, the Magic just rolled up 139 points. And uh, I got a couple looks at this game here. Not necessarily the minus 11 spread, though I have no problem if you just want to take that again because Washington is a tire fire. And Magic are 8-1, 8 straight against some really quality opponents. I think you're getting pretty good odds here on just Magic wire to wire. Basically, can they win the first quarter? And then they will continue. To, I, I doubt they're going to give up the lead because Washington gets worse as the game progresses. They are an absolutely awful second half and fourth quarter team. Um, but, you know, that's minus 116. If you want to put half your unit on that and then also get this juice here for the second quarter, Magic to win the second quarter and the quarter to go over 58 and a half gets you plus 175. So let's say... Magic fall behind in the first quarter. You're like, damn, my, that bet sunk, but you could still come out ahead as long as they come back and score in the second. Um, and they are the number one second quarter scoring team in the NBA. Uh, 32.2 at home because they have a really good bench. They are also number one in points off the bench at at home, 51. And Washington, you know, because they just rotate in Jordan Poole and do, you know, play free and fast, whatever. They're second or third in, in points per game off the bench on the road. So these teams average in this situation 61 in the second quarter. They got to 65 in the last meeting in a game that got to 259 overall. Uh, and Orlando, yes, did lead wire to wire. They had a five-point lead after the first, 10-point lead at the half. Um, so, I mean, they have advantages all over. We talked about Paolo. He came out and had a dud, turned his ankle, but he's going to go, I guess, again. Either way, Franz dropped 30 again. Um, the big wings are a big problem for Washington. Orlando, you know, might have the reputation of being a slow team that you're scared about points being scored. They're actually eighth in pace during this win streak, 101. And they have a 125 offense rating in their last five here. Uh, Washington has slowed it down on the road a little bit. Obviously, they had six crazy overs to start the league the year on the road. Um, since then, I mean, they've just been awful offensively. So, I mean, Orlando, like you called out two nights ago, not going to give up what Washington wants to do. So I, I, that's why I think wire to wire is intact here. I think a young Orlando team is not just going to slip up and let Washington get them here in the rematch. Um, and, and why I think Orlando is going to continue to score a lot in the second quarter as well. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about it earlier. I, I'm betting this game, and the only reason I'm not talking about it here is because I just did, but I'll just say go watch the other episode and you'll understand exactly why I think Washington is going to get smacked once again, which was verbatim what I said last time. And this time, it's interesting. I would love to see – I don't think you can, but if you could like parlay the magic wire to wire with a first basket prop for the if all five of the guys on the magic starting lineup that would be pretty sick because you need them to score first uh but i don't even know if that would allow you to do that no no no, no. wire so, wire i, I like the quarter, bet. i gotta correct you quarter by quarter you, you do not need them to lead the entire game oh yeah 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 thank you that was unclear <laughs> to me okay because i was yeah. even just looking for that bet a minute ago um but okay, no, we're back. We're back. Either way, maybe a first basket. Anyway, I don't know. Get crazy with it. But more importantly, uh, I'm going to finish uh, with, I'm not taking the coward's way out. That's not what I'm going to call it. But I am taking a player prop because I prefer it to any of the other sides. So we're on a three-player prop day for me. But Tatum, over 13 and a half rebounds and assists. We were looking for how to attack this game. And Joel didn't 
practice at shoot around today doesn't necessarily mean that he's not playing. Obviously, um, the spread did go up a, a tick when that uh, announcement came out that he wasn't at shoot around uh, participating in it anyway. He was there, he just wasn't participating in it. Um, and that made it go from five and a half to seven right now, which is where it's at for Boston. So that that was the biggest impact. But for Tatum's rebounds and assists, I mean, he, he does this a lot. You you called out his rebounds. Well, the rebounds and assists specifically have gone over 11 of his last 13 games versus the 76ers. Most of those with JoJo in there. And that includes the playoffs as well, which do what you will with that. I, I mean, those those I still think that's pretty accurate representation of, of what he does even regular season as well. In the last 10 games of this season, he's gone over this this prop eight times. And Chris Stapps has missed a lot of time over these last 10, including at least roughly like four games and a few of the, uh, like three of the last five. So the without Chris Stapps thing is a little bit of the spacing. Chris Stapps is not quite as much of a dive to the rim after the pick and roll kind of thing. Although I will give he and Tatum credit. Like I still think they're they've been good at avoiding just the easy, lazy, like Chris Stapps pick and pop to the three point line. Like there is some rolling going on, but when Papa Al is in there and also Sam Hauser out on the wing, even a better three point shooter than, um, than Chris Stapps, the assist opportunities go up for Jason Tatum. So the rebounds also obviously go up slightly without Chris Stapps in there, although they're not really in similar spots to really be like vulturing from each other. But more, more importantly, there's just one less big dude out there. The rebounds don't necessarily go up too much. They stay right around nine for Tatum without Chris Stapps because Papa Al is a very good rebounder. Um, but at the same time, like I said, the assists and the floor spacing for Tatum's kickouts and then also dumps down into the dunker spot are much more available with Al Horford and or Sam Hauser on the floor filling those those spots. Um, in the last five games where Chris Epps has played uh, three, uh, two of them, JT's up to 13 rebound chances a game, up just a slight tick. But more importantly, he's up to 11 potential assists a game, which is up from about eight and a half in the first uh, in the prior eight games to that when Chris Epps was playing a little bit more. So, like I said, I mean, it seems weird that such a good scorer and versatile player like Chris Epps would actually his absence helps Tatum uh, in terms of his playmaking ability and his ability to get to the rim uh, as, as a rebounder uh, on defense and on offense, honestly, because Chris Epps is a very good offensive rebounder. Uh, Tatum becomes sort of their de facto offensive rebounder as the longest uh, tallest guy in the front court. Papa Al always going to crash the boards on both sides of the floor. Um, but Tatum is that second offensive rebounder. there. So I think that the rebounds and assists have been hitting for him for a good reason against this team. Uh, and it's much more of a, a safe bet when you consider that Tobias Harris has done a good job limiting his points. Yeah, the rebounds have hit so often against Philly because these games have gone under. Um, but, you know, I, the Embiid factor is is huge in terms of that total. Uh, I like just playing it this way, sure. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, Papa Al is not actually crashing the glass on offense. He is just sitting around on the three-point line and getting ready to play defense, which is, what, which is what, you know, kind of, uh, you know, heightens these assists. That I, I also looked at Derek White assists. I'm going to talk about in player props a little bit. 18 assists in the last two without Porzingis. They're just playing even more of that free-flowing five-out style mm. without Porzingis um, because, you know, Papa Al is just not as versatile. So in that sense, you know, it's really just about the playmaking guards to get in there and start getting the defense in rotation. And, and that's what Tatum's been doing so well this year, why he has maybe the best plus-minus in the league. Uh, why that Celtics starting five is just on a historic tear, especially at home. So it doesn't it doesn't worry you that they seem a little bit more fluid without Chris Epps in there, right? Like you still think he was a good pickup. For oh them. yeah, no, I, I mean, this is not to say like the offense is going to move better. Uh, we're just talking about specific stats for specific players who's got to pick up the slack cool. without him because because he is such a positive. 
we press on here uh, and like get into your first play a prop. Yeah, and I wish I had pivoted off Dinwiddie on the air when you told me Cam Thomas was playing last night. I, I was like, well, maybe still, but I probably could have just been like, oh, oh, well, let's go under then because Dinwiddie's oh, forget was everything I just said. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to him being out. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to get ahead of the curve here with Desmond Bain, who's been quiet lately. Memphis trying to switch some things up in terms of, you know, different lineups, Derek Rose starting, uh, getting Bain off the ball more. So maybe he can get freed up and start scoring more. I mean, he, it hasn't happened yet, but it's a very small sample and some not competitive games here. And now you get a great game environment at Dallas a team that has quote stated wants to play in the one twenties and has two guards who are completely score first, no defense, uh, Alice allowing the third most pain points, third highest two point percentage, 11th, uh, most three point attempts, but Bain's actually getting a lot more going on the interior than at the three point line right now. Uh, Dallas also allowing 26 free throw attempts in their last three, been playing particularly bad defense, lately uh and he scored 30 on them earlier this season he's averaging 24 7 and 5 in his last four against dallas um so his core point bet here 22 and a half points is juiced up a little bit um so i think you can split your unit between that and then ladder up to 25 points and get some plus money because when you get into these situations with dallas the opposing star is going to do everything they can to match that kairuka output uh, you know, he could easily flirt with 30 points in this game again, like like he did in the opener. I mean, Mar- uh, obviously no Marcus Smart, no John Morant, not many other offensive options for Memphis. Derrick Rose at this stage of his career, not going to play a ton of minutes. And Bain actually been pretty productive on the road lately when they've, when they've needed it even more. Six of his last seven gone 23 plus. That includes 23 in just 26 minutes in his last one at Houston, a very good Houston defense at home. Uh, so now he's, he's elevated to 25 points per game and a 31 usage rate on the road. So I'm, if I'm saying he's going to hit his road average against a terrible defense uh, and you give me plus 115, I'll take that. Well, yeah. Yeah. What's 30? I, I like the sound of that, too. Uh, maybe. A yeah, I think like plus 170 or so. Yeah. Oh, it don't, oh, it doesn't even climb that much. No, no, you can get that for. Yeah, it's just plus 170 versus. Versus plus one fifteen for the twenty five. Okay, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. Plus one. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah, the twenty two and a half is juiced down too, so that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I I like the fine here. Honestly, I didn't really know how to to hit this game because I do think blowout factor is always a possibility when you have uh, a team that can score pretty pretty much at will right now with with Luca and a team that it's known for its defense, still missing a ton of guys. You're going to see plenty of Bismack Biombo tonight. Uh, and that hasn't been great for, for Memphis, honestly. And, and Jaron Jackson Jr. still somewhat of a train wreck on offense, uh, only leading to a higher usage for Bain. But I'm going to go, man, it's so funny. In best bets, I'm really realizing, and I realized it earlier, but I just pressed on. I took the Raptors to win by one and a half. And both of my player props are somewhat a fade of the Raptors. Let's get into it. Jakob Pertl, under 23 and a half points, rebounds, and assists. It's really just about specific spots. For, for Pertl, like, look, I mean, this isn't how you beat the Knicks. Uh, we both we spoke about it on, on the the best bets video. Why we both like Toronto uh, and why it was my my favorite bet on the night for best bets uh, in terms of sides because the, they the way that they beat the Knicks is not by crashing the boards with their giant uh, Eastern European guy. It's with their you know quick and fast forwards and point forwards that they have all over the floor with Pascal and Scotty Barnes. Um, and so they're you know he's going up against the best interior defense 
in the land. Let's be very clear. There is not another better interior defense. I don't want to hear anything about Cleveland right now. Uh, New York is limiting centers to the third fewest points per game, the fewest boards, and the third fewest assists. Uh, they really just don't let you have the ball in your hands. You, you've heard of Mitchell Robinson. He's having a historic season rebounding the ball, especially on the offensive side. But they have, they're fourth in D rating and number one in defensive rebound percentage. And Pirtle does require, because of his low usage and, and the amount that he's really the fifth option, honestly, on, on offense when he's out there with the starters, um, they're not running anything through him. So, you know, he needs those offensive rebounds and those putbacks where he does get a decent amount of second chance points, the most on the team, obviously. Uh, and this is a team that does try to crash the offensive boards a lot. Hasn't been as successful this year as they've been in the past. To be honest, they're outside the top 10 in terms of offensive rebounding uh, and even not as high as they normally are in second chance points. Uh, the Knicks are limiting you to in the paint. Like you're not, it's not going to be very easy down there. I'd like Julius Randle to get a lot of boards and take those things from Pirtle who will be getting boxed out by uh, Mitchell Robinson. Uh, they're number one at limiting second chance points as well, which I obviously just correlates directly to that number one defensive rebound percentage for them. And, and really the thing about them is they, they do give up fast break points at least more than they do other things. And Toronto in the four times that they played them last year, their three wins, they averaged almost 19 um, fast break points per game, which is what they're going to be looking to do once again here uh, in this one against the Knicks who give up the, the 12th um, fewest fast break points. It's like they're just so good everywhere. This is the only you know outlet that you really have, uh, pun intended, in terms of outlet that you have to really get there. So with Pirtle scoring almost all of his points in the paint, he does have a decent rebound uh, amount of rebound chances per game, but he's only at a 53% rebound percentage versus Mitch Rob, who's at a 62 rebound percent uh, percentage on his rebound chances, and he gets a lot more of them. So uh, lastly, Mitch Rob, just love looking it up every time. It's so easy to find defensive field goal percentage against him as far as his direct opponent. Uh, he is third best in terms of limiting field goal percentage inside of five feet. That's the only place that Pirtle really shoots from. So pretty bad matchup for him. We'll go under the 24 points, rebounds, and assists. Yeah, and he's like a 42% free throw shooter, and this is a black and blue game where everything's going to be earned, right? They're not, and the Knicks are not just going to let you lay it up on them. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't think Jakob Pertl's going to be scoring 10 points tonight. That's not to say that your fade of the Knicks is not intact. It's not. I don't think anyone's going to be like, oh, the Raptors have no chance if they don't get 10 out of Jakob. Uh, that's not really <laughs> their, how their offense flows. You need more Pertl. So, yeah. <laughs> Those, those those are fine to go against each other. A couple looks here at the Celtics. We're going to be without Kristaps Porzingis. We talk about in the best bets. Josh likes uh, Tatum, rebounds, assists. I, I don't mind it as well. I'll go with Derek White to keep producing. Um, at points and assists, not over 19 and a half. You can tack on four rebounds if you want. That's pretty much what his ceiling is in terms of rebounding, though. And his assist ceiling has really gone up lately. 18 assists his last two games with Porzingis out, uh, up to a 35% assist rate versus 18% uh, leading into it. I don't know. You know, he has four plus assists in 13 straight games. So it's not necessarily that like Porzingis out, um, you know, White's going to see the ball that much more. It's just that he's become such a vital connective piece of this really good offense as the slash and kick guy. And they're doing more slash and kick without Porzingis because they have just more guards, more quickness out there. In his last seven overall, averaging 15.5 points, six assists, that includes a 27-point outburst at Philly. Uh, again, without Porzingis, he's had a lot of success against Philly in the regular season, averaging now 22 in his last five, along with four assists. Four of those were on the road. Celtics are historically good at home on offense, uh, where White has 5.5 assists and a 130 individual offensive rating. So 
I mean, it's just elevate the entire team and, and the pace and the, and the flow of offense here, especially if Joel Embiid is out. I think that that helps this become more of a freewheeling game where the Sixers identity is maxi. And then you get guards just going up and down on both ends. Um, so that's my, my core bet here. And, and I was just tempted by the, the, the odds here for plus 160 for Papa Al to hit three threes. Again, with with Porzingis out, with the Celtics on two-plus days rest, even a little bit more because they blew out the Bulls, you see Al play at least 31 minutes when they get two days rest last year. You saw him shoot 48% at home from the three-point line, hitting two and a half per game. And in his last three, without the zinger here, uh, 11 points per game. You know, he has a 134 offensive rating in those in, in his last three against Philly, and he hit four threes without Zinger out there in his last game against Philly. So I think it's worth, you know, a quarter unit, let's say, just because he could go 0 for, 0 for 5 or he could go 4 for 8 again. That's the way Pop Al functions from the three-point line. And if Chris Apps was in, I would probably target his threes, to be honest, because it's a really, it's a, a the strategy of, of the Celtics, which you, you called out pull um, and beat away from the basket simple simply simple as that and uh, any team with quality bigs and disciplined bigs like Chris Stapps and Papa Al would definitely um, you know have that be as their game plan as well with the the giant dude down low who uh, is a, the top five actually I think he leads the league in defensive field goal percentage inside of five feet which I was talking about with Mitrob only um, Joel is slightly better so yeah with, without him with, with pulling him away from the basket always makes sense I do like the three-pointers and I always love the Derek White stuff because just more and more like you said as you watch them he is clearly the point guard more and more and more and more uh, and they keep trusting him with that role to like get the, in the half court offense specifically it's it's him leading it when he's on the floor so Final bet here, another somewhat fade of the Raptors, but we still like them to win. Maybe a little neg- negative correlation with uh, Julius Randle's prop I'm giving you here over and the Raptors to win so that you can get a little bit more juice on your, your parlay if you put that together. But more importantly, over 30 and a half points and rebounds combined for Julius Randle. I had to look at the stats repeatedly to make sure that I wasn't messing this up, but like he averages 40. What do, am I? I, I don't know. I, I like, I was like, am I sure? Am, am I adding the assists? Like, am I doing this wrong? No, because he averages 14 and a half boards a game and he averages 26 and a half points per game. And you add those together and that's 40, which is nine more than the 31 that we need him to get in this bet. So I, I'm going 1.2 units on this, Nate. Um, he did this in all four last season. Those averages I mentioned for him against Toronto, those are him against Toronto last season in four games. In those four games, he averaged 22 rebound chances per game. Uh, and obviously gobbled them up at about a 65% rate so that he get those 15 boards per game. Um, he has a 28% usage rate against them uh, with a very nice nine free throw attempts per game. Um, and this is all just about the the game theory for the overall game theory and Jay Rand, the impact that it has on Julius Randle and his impact on the game. So people guarding Julius Randle, because they're small, by the way, like Toronto, they're probably going to have to be playing a bit more Chris Boucher, almost said Bobby Boucher, and Precious Achua. And that's been the case. Precious Achua comes in and just gets pwned, if you will, by Julius Randle. Julius Randle's perfect, like, ideal defender archetype is a dude who thinks he's he's a power forward who's versatile. And Julius Randle's like, you think you're a power forward who's versatile. I'm just going to put you under the basket because I'm stronger than every single versatile power forward in the league. Um, there's very few power forwards that he's not stronger than. So that's been why he just sort of camps out down there. Guys, are the assists are fluctuate. I mean, he has had decent assist numbers against them, but I'm not even really worried about that because when he gets down there, 
in, especially in this matchup, he's really just looking to cook and get his. Um, there's nobody down there that scares him, even a Jakob Pertl. Um, so with those rebound chances, with those free throws, with the fact that he's facing a combination of Scotty Barnes as his primary defender and Precious Achua and then guards like Gary Trent Jr. spent the third most amount of time on him in their matchups last season when you look at uh, all four games. And all those guys, if, if, if it's Scotty, it, Pascal didn't even really guard him that much because one, they're really not trying to get Pascal bruised on defense and as much as they need him on offense. And two, Pascal ended up being the center in a number of lineups. And he was the one trying to box out Mitchell Robinson at that point, um, which left guys like Scotty Barnes on him. And Scotty is looking to be that guy leading the fast break, especially this season. All those guys that I mentioned that are these like point forwards that are responsible now for boxing out Julius Randle on the, on the offensive glass for Julius, like all these guys are trying to get the defensive board and lead the break. Right. So like, they're not really there um, all the time to even get uh, in his way for those rebounds. Mitchell Robinson's clearing everybody out. So all the rebound stuff for him is great, but I put the points in there as well, because they are more likely to score from his, his spot on the floor uh, than anywhere else. Yeah, this it's surprising that he's had that much success against Toronto. I mean, new coach, new regime here. We'll see. If it happens, uh, I mean, he has been successful on on his last two back to backs, uh, twenty five and nine, twenty one and six. But I, yeah, I mean, it's interesting this kind of like what I call the black and blue matchup. That does he actually thrive more in that type of thing? I mean, he's coming off a huge game against Detroit, which is another team that just stacks bigs down there. Had twenty one and fourteen at Minnesota. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe he does enjoy that type of game where he could just muck it up, get to the free throw line. And like you said, yeah, assert his his strength versus other guys who who think think they're uh, down low players, but might not be ready to bang with Julius Randle. Agreed. Yeah, let's give him a little bit of love there. But that is all the time we have for you. And play a props. Definitely follow along. Continue to uh, like and subscribe to that page. Check out the best bets we have. I should also mention we have NFL player props up for you guys this weekend for Week 13. Want to check those out? Coming off a pretty great week last week as well. So. Until we do see you next on Monday for the in-season tournament, happy betting.